Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello and welcome to the Good Divorce Show. I am your host, Karen McNinney. And today we take a different perspective. We have a lovely guest from the Rocky Mountain Northwest, Elkie Governson, chatting with us about her journey as a child of divorce. Welcome, Elkie. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. I'm very excited to be on your show. Well, thank you for opening up your heart and your story, not only for the parents that might be considering divorce, those that are on the other side of it. I always say it's never too late to have a good divorce. Take us back in time so we can understand the context of where you were in life uh, when your parents announced divorce, your age, and a few of those early stepping stones that you still remember. Yeah, it's 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 a way back story. I uh, we were I was born in Missoula, Montana. My dad was a teacher and my mom was an artist. And I have an older sister. And the four of us lived in the little house. And I have lots of great memories of them together. Um, I don't really have specific memories of fighting, although I kind of think I probably knew that there there was some fighting. They separated when I was in, gosh, probably kindergarten. So I don't, I know the, even my exact age, but I was pretty little, um, enough that I wasn't tracking when that went from separation to like signed papers or anything. It was in my world, it was the same thing. Like it was someone moved out and, and that was my significant change. So the legal logistics at that age weren't affecting me in any way. Do you have a recollection of the conversation from your parents and how they did it? Yes. I remember we were in our little house. They sat us down. I don't remember if they used the word divorce or separation or any of that. Because again, it was very irrelevant to me. It was what we have is now changing. Um, And they told us it was happening. I immediately uh, had a stomach ache. Cause that was my like go-to and in a way it was kind of like the way to stop the conversation. And we redirected energy into that. Uh, I believe I remember my sister got mad. That was her kind of stress go-to. And we both just kind of had to roll through our things. Um, I do remember it meant we were selling our house. And so that was a process of, you know, getting things ready to sell, packing up, moving. I don't really remember who went where when. You know, I think it wasn't such a distinct line. My parents probably were taking turns with us at the house at that point enough that we weren't super cognizant. You know, I've heard you, Karen, talk about like the lever and the left and how the lever has known this thing is this thing has been happening to them for a long period of time. The one who's being left is like, wait, why aren't we trying anything new? Mm-hmm. It's interesting as the child, it was almost just kind of like I was sitting at a train station and trains are coming and going. Right. It was less, less a single train. So I, I think that the lines aren't just blurry in my memory. They were probably very blurry in practice too. So eventually you end up in two homes where and how, did that arrangement and what was that arrangement? I believe that technically they had joint custody. Yes. And I just remember going back and forth. It felt to me like it was a back and forth of convenience rather than a strict Monday, Tuesday with so-and-so when, you know, there wasn't a set schedule to it. It was like, I'm in town this week. I'm out of town, stuff like that. And how to support each other in the co-parenting. Yeah. How many yep. years did that progress? We did that basically from when I was in kindergarten through into the fourth grade. So the bulk of elementary school. Mm-hmm. And I've sometimes heard kids say they can feel like a ping pong or it is just centric to the parents or it's it doesn't matter if there's a birthday or a family in town. It sounds like your family... And parents co-parenting had a little more fluidity and flexibility. 
Yeah, it is. It was and remained my entire life very centered on the kids. It is very centered on being good parents. And I'm sure there were side channels and compromises that I wasn't aware of. But in from where I sat, it was pretty seamless. And I had friends all through growing up that had divorced parents that like couldn't have dinner together or they had to have two graduation parties or things like that. And uh, we, we never, ever had that. As you sit and reflect on that now as an adult, as a parent yourself in a long-term marriage, what what would you say to your parents by way of appreciation or advice and how they did in those early years? Oh, that's a great question. I, I mean, I definitely am appreciative like of never having to feel like I had to choose one or no one was ever bad talking each other. Um, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. I think that what I would acknowledge is, is how much I didn't know, like mm. how much I didn't, at least for me, when I had my own children, I remember looking at my mom one day and being like, Oh my God, you were just trying your best all the time. Weren't you? <laughs> like, that, that is the theme of parenting. <laughs> I, 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 but I think I didn't really get that. Like, I think as a child, it's easy to keep thinking like, well, why would you do this? Or you're doing this wrong, you know? And now that I have teenagers and I'm getting some of that feedback, I'm like, you don't even know. I'm trying. <laughs> like, I'm literally trying to help you all mm-hmm. the time. And And I do think that I can look at my parents now and because they weren't sharing all that complexity with us or asking us to carry it for them. I mean, there was conflict clearly. And there were times where there were disagreements and I remember arguments and fights and things, but they never like broke the family. Mm. Oh, that's such a beautiful phrase. As you think about the relationship between both of your parents at that time and being a child who was actively living not only just in two homes, but it sounds like sometimes your dad was also like you were in multiple locations during that time. So there's the change of the the actual geographic location, but then there's also, you know, psychic change. Parents parent differently. They have different expectations. And I'm curious how moving from home to home, whether or not there was sort of a unified parenting style. Or was it radically different? I think it was more alike than different. You know, I don't know. I think both of my parents were very understanding. Like neither one of them was ever like this authoritative parent that was going to be really punitive. And the other one was disagreeing with that. You know, I'm sure they had different opinions about certain things, but we're pretty like, you know, we were, we stayed in the same schools. We kept our same friends. Yeah. Right. If you can avoid yeah. changing everything, if you can stay in close proximity, if you can maintain the school neighborhood, as well as friendships. Did you maybe also- the traditions changed, but events, activities, birthdays, Christmases? Not, I mean, when we were all living in the same town, really, no, we still all had holidays together. There weren't like, you know, dad's Christmas and mom's Christmas, or we're with dad for Christmas, but not when we were in the same town, it was still all everyone would kind of come back together. My mom's mother was married eight times. So she had pretty horrible experiences. You know, it wasn't probably such a confusing thing for her. Uh, My dad's parents were married, you know, till till they died in their 90s. And so I think he had more probably adapting to do with the concept of not do things together still. I think again, because they were so anchored on us. If I I think to answer your earlier question, if I could go back and say something to them, I don't think it's advice as much as just like I'm so impressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. I, I think that that decision, however they came to it, and I don't know if they had a counselor or what, but however they came to that decision, they really stuck to it. Yes. And in the 70s, you know, yeah. divorce, you were probably more of a minority as a divorced kid in school. 
That's my recollection of friends that were divorced at that time. It was more rare. And so even a, a model of what a good divorce and amicable, how, you know, in my words, we always talk about, can we maintain one family that happens to live in two homes? Can that co-parenting relationship still be unified? So in many ways, your parents were radical. They were pioneers. And I love this idea of like, I don't know if it was a conscious choice. It's just who they were as parents and wanting to continue to create consistency for their daughters. So up until fourth grade, maybe 10, 10 years old. I can't remember. How old is a fourth grader? Yeah, nine, 10. Nine, 10. Then uh, did something shift? What changed? Yes. Um, my mother uh, got re- reconnected with her high school sweetheart. Yep. And so I, it was interesting because it wasn't a new partner to her. It was, uh, she was actually engaged to him coming out of high school and he went to Vietnam. And while he was in Vietnam, he got a Dear John letter from her. And by the time he got back, she had met my dad. And I don't know if they were already married or just together. And so he went back to Vietnam and then moved to Alaska and was a bit of a heartbroken hermit. But his brother worked with my mom and my dad. So he was, my stepfather's name is Tom, and he was aware when they got a divorce and started showing back up a little bit and then a little bit more. And eventually they decided to get married, but he was still living in Alaska. So the, the decision was made that we would spend a summer in Alaska and see how that went. I don't know. It was all in there. We spent a summer there, came back and did a school year. And then moved to Alaska mm. uh, the following year. Well, so, before we, oh, go ahead. They were, yeah, yeah. They got married during the summer we spent up there. So they got married. And then my mom and my sister and I said goodbye and came back to Montana. <laughs> <laughs> this is a unique story. And it's about to get more interesting. Before we move Elkie and her sister and mother to Alaska, what do you remember about your mom speaking to you about? Tom and this person? And do you have recollections of how that introduction, I think introducing new partners, opening the circle of the family can be a delicate path and there's good ways to do it. There's better ways to do it. There's really terrible ways to do it. And and do you remember your dad's reaction in any of this? I, I think they sort of snuck him in a little bit stuff common a little bit because we knew growing up Tom's brother had always been around he and my dad worked together I knew his kids we all functioned kind of like cousins growing up and then all of a sudden it was becoming clear that we were actually going to become cousins so I'll uh, moving forward I'll call my stepfather Tom and I'll call my dad 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 that's uh, great yeah, Thank you. which is what I usually do anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, there's no ranking order there. I'm very close with both of them. But uh, and so I kind of think he probably was at functions or things that we were doing with that family for a while before I really got clued into the fact that he was actually coming around for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. I remember being very resistant to the idea of him at first, you know, even before they were, when we were starting to talk about going to Alaska, it was like sold as we were going to go with, you know, who are now our cousins, but there were a set of brothers. So we were going to go with the boys and we're going to go to Alaska and it was good, you know, and I think somewhere along the way, probably in Alaska, I was like, wait, why are they in the same room? And why are we in Tom's cabin and not the other cabin? And some of it was a little more indirect. And I remember my mom telling us that she was dating Tom and that she was in love with him. I wasn't very into the idea. I My dad, you know, wasn't there for that conversation. So I don't know what her conversation with him was. Mm-hmm. My I, my dad never was like I, oh. when you asked what his reaction was I I don't think I'd know because he would never share if it was a negative reaction with us because he would never you know add gotcha. that to our story. 
Yeah, which is such a decent, adult, loving, kind gift. Can we just Mm -hmm. give a shout out to your dad? Because, you know, I regardless of the situation or the circumstances, which is what we're less interested in. Everybody's story is is really unique. We don't need to hang up any of the dirty laundry. We're trying to problem solve and to identify what are the right kinds of behaviors that can make a good divorce and a good environment for kids and your dad making an active choice to not have any kind of commentary on your mom and her mm-hmm. new partnership or Tom and how he was coming into the life. I suspect he had feelings and opinions. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I am sure. I'm sure they all did. Yes. And I'm sure that like any good walk down memory lane, this is very much my memory of it. You know, other people in the room remember differently. Maybe there was more conflict and that wasn't the part I was holding on to. I think I was also very centered on uh, wanting to be okay. And so it was a lot easier to stay at the lane where things were okay. <laughs> yes. And I think you make a good point of this is your version of the story. You are also an author, an editor, a publisher, a lot of uh, memoir type writing. And you have you have a philosophy when it comes to writing and sharing our stories. As a publisher, like I don't think there's anything stronger than a first person story. And as a writer who writes first-person stories, I know there's nothing less tangible (laughs) than a first-person story. And the more you try and write the truth, the more you go, gosh, maybe there is none. I'm I'm curious, as Tom was coming on the scene, it became clearer that your mom was in love and that he was going to be a part of this family. Did your dad repartner? My dad, I remember having some... I mean, probably had dates that I didn't know about, but I remember him having a couple of different girlfriends off and on at the time. Mm-hmm. And he never remarried. He never remarried. Yeah. But your mom did yeah. remarry. And your summer in Alaska was sort of a taste test for everyone, it sounds like. Yeah. And then there was a really big, significant change for the family. And when we come back from our break, we'll hear about Elkie and her journey to Alaska and the morphing of the family and marriage number two for your mom. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. 
Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show. I'm your host, Karen McNinney, and conversation today with Elkie Governson, publisher, author, editor, writer, and adult child of divorce. Elkie's parents divorced when she was young, elementary school, uh, seven, eight years old, and then by fourth grade, your mom had fallen in love again with Tom, who would become your stepdad, and a lot of things were going to change in your life. Pick up the story for us, Elkie. Yeah, so we, my mom and my stepfather, Tom, got married when we spent the summer up in Alaska with him. And then my mom and my sister and I flew back to Montana and spent, I guess it was my third grade year, living in Montana. And Tom was a commercial fisherman up in Alaska. So he was doing a lot of coming and going. And by fourth grade, we moved to Alaska to live in his cabin which had no electricity or plumbing. And we had to take a boat to another town to go to school. So it was a big jump from our, you know, quote unquote, relatively normal uh, life that we'd had in Missoula, where we could walk to school, we could watch TV, we could turn on lights, we could flush a toilet, we could go to McDonald's whatever, uh, to a very different world. Uh, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to pause on that because it's one thing to just move into two homes across town and your lifestyle itself doesn't change too much and you have access to both parents. But now your mom is making the decision not only to move to a very far distant state, but into a very radically different, did you say no running water, no electricity, like off the grid yep. lifestyle. Yep. And no, no phone. So my dad couldn't reach us either. So really how- that was when we started having kind of two different worlds that we traveled between or functioned between. My dad was out of town when we left Montana. I know he knew because I remember talking on the phone to him saying goodbye to my dad wasn't tied with driving away from Missoula either. So there was some elegant design work in there we settled into we would come down and spend summers with my dad and two weeks at Christmas with him he was a public school teacher so that was also time that he had off and we would spend the school years up in Alaska and so we had a stable school schedule it was that way all through all through high school so a a decade or so Mm -hmm. from from fourth grade all the way through high school, that became the rhythm of your life. When I first moved to Alaska, I really missed Montana. I missed my best friend. I missed my dad. I was kind of one of those kids who was pretty resistant to Tom. I was very much the, you're not my dad. You can't tell me what to do. And so he got a book about being a step-parent. His two ideas that he took from that book are, don't expect anything for two years. And they just need to know you're there. And he just closed the book. And committed to it. And it really was about two years for me. I think my sister warmed up to him faster. By the time I warmed up to him, I think I warmed up to him harder. <laughs> but I was, I, I made him earn it. Second no, lesson of they just need to know you're there to this day. And now I'm 47 is Tom all the way. He's here visiting us right now. And I know he's there. He's one of the, he's usually after the first call when, when I need help or ideas or to talk something through. So uh, for those of you out there getting the, you're not my parents, there's possibility that it will come through that. And you might actually end up being like their person too. I've heard you talk about Tom being your person and Mm -hmm. uh, and a a bonus parent in your life. Yes. I always joke that I'm, um, I have two teenage sons now. I guess one of them's not even a teenager. I have a 20 year old and yeah. an almost 18 year old. And I have always jokingly teased that I'm a little sad for them that they won't get to have a stepfather because I like their dad too much. <laughs> I, I, I do feel really fortunate that, that it was more than two. I do feel really fortunate that there was more than two people carrying the load or 
two perspectives or two different ways of being. Was was there ever conversations in the summers of like, we just want to stay in Alaska with our friends, or I've got a summer job here, or I don't want to go to Montana. I love my dad, but now, you know, there's so much disruption for the child in these stories, sometimes at the hand of parental decisions. Yeah, I, um, two things. This was pre-cell phone. So I think that actually, in some ways, was hard and in other ways made it a lot easier like we just missed our friends we weren't like locked in the room talking to them all the time because it was a long distance phone call that somebody was gonna have to pay for so we wrote letters we did things like that and we had ways of missing and staying connected that didn't they weren't so uh interruptive they weren't so like i'm just not i'm here but i'm not really here mm-hmm. which i could could imagine happens a lot in similar divorce, you know, to family, to household families. Now uh, you can really disconnect from it. Mm-hmm. So there's, there, there is that. And then um, can you repeat your question? And again, I had a second point to it that I wanted to make. You did have a second point of how it impacted in that summers of high school oh, in particular, yes. when we have more autonomy and yes. more opinions. By, by high school, we also moved quite a bit in Alaska. So we did sort of lived in the cabin with no electricity, you know, kind of into middle school, moved into the town that we went to school in, and then we moved to another town for high school. So mm. everything was like very segmented. So by the time I moved to the Homer where I went to high school, the very social town, like the ethos of the town was also very social, very hardworking. So all of my friends would get summer jobs. In Alaska, you actually made quite a bit of money as a young person, either fishing or filleting fish or even waitressing because it was a tourist town. So that was the whole town was making money in the summer, working really hard and then playing really hard because it didn't really get dark. So like summertime was this whole world of Alaska that I didn't get to be part of. And culturally that was hard. Then just within the family unit, I was, I couldn't get a summer job. My dad didn't really, you know, he had summers off, so he didn't want to give up the freedom that he had of it was his summer vacation with having both of us just having, you know, jobs here. So and I, in hindsight, I appreciate this. I just remember him kind of always making the point that we would have a lifetime to have jobs. But at the time, I was just really frustrated by that, especially because even if I got a job in Missoula, it was going to be nothing compared to what mm-hmm. financially people were making. You know, in, in high school up in Alaska, kids can make almost what adults are making in the summertime, depending on what you do. Mm-hmm. So I, I do remember that. I know that it never stopped. I never got to skip a summer. Yeah. Uh, when I when I went to college and then started going back to Alaska for the summers, I remember just being like, I knew it. I knew this was the best time. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your autonomy and decision making really came with college. Yeah. And there was definitely like a separating happening just logistically in, and probably relationally somewhat too, just of, I know that by the time I did go to college, I would go to Alaska for the summers and for Christmas, you know? So Mm -hmm. there was kind of this slow ease out that in, in hindsight, I think about what my dad's experience must have been like and how much I was very unaware of it as my kids are starting to grow up and leave how important it is to me that we're all home for Thanksgiving or whatever, you know, those things weren't happening for him. Mm-hmm. Right. His holidays and summers were now noticeably different Yeah, because his daughters weren't there. And, and to be yeah. clear, you were in school in Bellingham, Washington. So still in the Northwest, yeah. but then began making your own decisions. Catch us up on what was happening in Alaska in those middle school, high school years. You said you gave Tom a couple of years of the runaround. <laughs> I gave him hell. Yeah. You mentioned he was just always there and present and knew that and and to not expect too much. 
How did that relationship end up growing? What did it grow into? Oh, I love that question. Um, it's it's a really lovely part of my life, actually. So he, I pushed, and he just stayed, and I fought, and he just stayed, and he was very calm and very patient. I do know that my mother, one of her contingencies on getting married was that we were her kids. Mm. And that that constellation was very, very clear when we were all coming into it. And um, I'm, I'm writing a book right now and I talk all throughout it about the constellation of our family and how we aligned to each other and what we were centered off of. When my mom and Tom first got married, it was very much a hub and spoke model. My mom was in the middle and we all had our relationship with my mother. And everything else kind of bounced off of that. Even that was the relationship I had with my sister. And so it took Tom and I a while to get our own connection points. He, he was gone a lot for commercial fishing as well. So there'd still be months at a time where he wasn't around or available, again, pre-cell phone. And so my mom really was our like decision-making parent. She was the one who decided how it was going to go and all of that stuff. Tom was just, he was patient. He was consistent. My mom had a bit of a temper. My dad wasn't always available either technically or otherwise. And Tom kind of was always, when he was around, was really steady. He just never jumped into a fight, anything like that. And so as my as we started aging and my mom and my sister used to, um, they're very, they're very close, but they would also fight a lot. They were a lot more alike in that way. And Tom and I would retreat together. (laughs) You know, I could, I could walk in the door and you could kind of feel in the energy of the house that there was stuff going down or about to go down, or someone was waiting for something to make it so that things could go down. And he would just open the garage door and we'd, kind of sneak out to the garage together and he taught me to weld. So I, he built boats when he wasn't um, commercial fishing. And so I would go out in the garage and he'd give me a stack of something to make or do that, that in hindsight, now I'm realizing he had prepared for me that day. He'd made a bunch of, you know, corner joints that needed to get stuck to this thing or whatever, but the joints were already made. So he'd set aside work for me to do so that I could be out in the garage with him while the storm, while the storm was happening inside. Uh, And so I think in that process, he and I started having our own experience. My mom and my sister both hated, you know, being cold. We lived in Alaska. And so I remember one year for Christmas, we used to always go get the family Christmas tree and it was always just the worst. It was like fighting and crying and I don't know. So <laughs> Merry I mean, I Christmas. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Happy holiday tradition. And I think it was my freshman or sophomore year of high school. Tom and I just decided to go just the two of us instead because we really liked it and we really enjoyed being with each other and we left. And we told them and they were both so happy they didn't have to go. And so Tom and I went and got the Christmas tree and it was like this sunbeam on a gorgeous tree in the woods. And we'd been walking for like an hour without even talking. And it was kind of like a Christmas vacation where the lights like, and we brought this tree home and it was so big and it was, we still talk about it every year. And from then on, that was just, there was a lot of things that Tom and I would go do just the two of us so that it was like a good memory instead of a family fight. And so I think he, whenever I hear of a friend of mine who's marrying into a a family and going to become a step parent, I always try and give them the like, this could be the greatest thing ever. Like it's worth it. Like it's worth the, crappy couple of years or the bad attitudes or whatever, but it's, it's totally worth it. Mm, and that is such an important message to all our listeners out there who are trying to navigate a family that is blended 
a family that is yeah. non-traditional in its um, standard way. And that family can mean a lot of different things and love can come in a lot of different packages. Yeah. And that Tom wasn't the enemy. Um, he became part of the family and an important part of your life. Mm-hmm. When we come back from the break, we're going to hear about the current chapter and where you're living and where all of these characters uh, and family members have shown up and how the story, again, as I remind our listeners, the decisions we make early on cast a very long shadow in our life. They echo over and over again. And so being thoughtful and intentional about how we craft family is going to have a long lasting effect. And Elkie's going to tell us about that long arc of her own family when we return. Stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show. I'm your host, Karen McNenny, speaking today with Elkie Governson. Child of divorce, blended family, new stepdad becomes important person in your life. You're in Alaska. Pick up the story. How did this blended family unfold over the last, well, 30 years? It's pretty interesting. Gosh, I guess after high school, there was sort of the college window. And then at one point, my sister was going to college back in Montana and living in my dad's basement. So then there became a new kind of constellation and gravity to that. And I, when I graduated from college, someone asked where I was going to live. And I said, I know that I will live. I don't know where I'll live, but it will be anywhere but Missoula, Montana. Kind of thought I'd already done it, but I met a guy and he was going to school here. So all of a sudden there became this new gravity and a lot of us were down in Montana. And I I got pretty sick and then I also found out I was having a baby. So there was like an illness and a pending grandchild and somewhere between those two things, my parents, my mom and Tom decided to get a divorce. So my mom was a little lost and not sure what she was going to do. They were still had the house in Alaska. They were in Montana. Then all of a sudden I told her that I was having a baby and that answered all of her questions. She sold the house in Alaska and moved to Montana. Another divorce and a whole nother flip-flop of geography as to where home was for our family. All of a sudden, I think because I had kids, I became the center. Um, our, our family became the center of like Christmas and all of those things. My mom actually lived with us most of the time that she was living in Montana until she died. So we 
we had that dynamic. I was still incredibly close with Tom. I still am incredibly close with Tom. So he would come and visit for a couple months at a time. I would take my family up to Alaska for a month or two every summer. And my dad was in Missoula and wound up buying a house almost next door. Recall the conversation when your mom and Tom, they had then been married 10, 15 years. Yeah. And they were more... That was actually a much harder divorce for me. A, I was an adult, which in a way you think would be less hard because it wasn't impacting my my day-to-day or where am I going to live or, you know, things like that. But I was so much more aware of the significance of it and the pain that they were going through. Whereas when I was little, I was not privy to or aware of or maybe even had the capacity to understand the hurt that led to that. I, I think there is a misnomer often amongst people contemplating divorce that when the mantra begins, stay for the kids, stay for the kids, we'll wait till they launch, we'll wait till they get to college, we'll wait till they're on their own. And I don't know that you can measure difficulty by age, but do not underestimate the impact of divorce on adult children mm-hmm. at the time. And my theory is that you then take that family constellation you spoke about and you rearrange it again, but now we don't actually have a construct in which to know how to negotiate those relationships and where do I go for Christmas and who is my person that I call and and how do they all get along now that I have these two father figures, neither one of them is anymore married to my mother, but all three of them are deeply intertwined in your life yeah and each other's lives I it was it was really confusing at the time but I remember someone asking me like oh do you think you'll like keep in touch with Tom and I just was so confused by that question because up until they asked me that it had not occurred to me one second the optionality of that relationship in particular that somewhere in the societal mind, because he was a step parent, he could stop being a step parent. Right. Different and now that they're. Yeah. Whereas that was never the question with like a biological parent, right? Mm-hmm. In a divorce. And I, I remember just being like, of course, like, what are you talking about? And then I had this moment of like, oh shit. Like, like what if he doesn't want that? You know? And it was, mm. it, which, which wasn't the case, but it was because it, it was, it was such a shocking question to me. And I'm sorry, I just swore on your podcast, but like, it was cold water flashed on me and uh, and it was not the case at all. And so as my mom and Tom got their divorce, I think we went back to that moment a lot when we were talking mm-hmm. about what we could have between the two of us that wasn't that constellation. And at this time, your mom was living with you. You were yes. maintaining a relationship <laughs> with Tom. Your dad was living in the house literally around the corner. And how did your mom manage that part of the divorce story and your continued relationship with Tom? I I think it was like, again, everybody was so again, focused on being good parents. Like she wanted us to keep relationship with Tom in theory. <laughs> and then I think when I would pack up the kids and we'd go spend a month with them in Alaska and she missed, her grandson and she missed me um maybe she felt a little less passionate about that Mm -hmm. but um I think if anything you know at that point Tom was the one who had decided to get the divorce even though she had talked about it before he did I do think it's a bit of a hot potato game of even though she had expressed wanting it when he was the one who did it she spent a couple years being really uh brokenhearted and feeling like she was left and unworthy. And so that was a, a very complicated time for me to straddle mm-hmm. everybody's um, sensitivities or insensitivities. And I was an adult at this point with kids of my own. So I was much clearer about what was going on behind the scenes outside of the singular family structure. So I, I did see a lot more of the pain and the hurt mm-hmm. um, in that one. 
my mom was always in ways the glue and in other ways the uh, dynamite. (laughs) And she'd kind of blow it up and pull it back together a lot. And um, she was the glue in that we were all all so deeply committed to her, whether it was my dad or Tom or my sister or myself. Uh And she's very magical that way. And so, but then all of a sudden there were like grandkids and everybody wanted in on that game. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone get on it. Uh, Everyone got in on that. Yeah. Yes. Every, every Christmas was always together. You know, no one wanted to miss the kids waking up to the presents under the tree. So they'd all crash here that night. Uh, so you would have mom, mom and her mom, two ex-husbands <laughs> and all the grandkids in the family and would come yeah. together and you were still sharing and celebrating and family moments together. Yeah. We Easily, family- awkwardly, <sighs> did well, evolve yes. over time. Both, you know, I mean, easily in the decision, you know, I think that the hardest part was that, you know, my husband also has a family and we still tended to anchor more towards on holidays here. And so everyone had to come here, um, which, you know, I think as far as the dynamics, the the awkward dynamics in our family have nothing to do with who's married to who. Hmm. You know, like people just are people are just our people. So like people could be married, they could be divorced. These two people get along really well. These two people don't. This person always stands in the way of everyone in the kitchen. This person knows how to move out of the way in the kitchen. You know, it's like none of that's about being married. It's just about familying as a and, and relationships, just yeah. the complexity and stickiness of relationships. Yeah. I think it's interesting if you would highlight your dad and Tom and how yeah. their relationship transitioned over time, because in essence, they ended up sharing children and grandchildren. It's interesting because they're very different. But and a I wife. That, they shared a lot a of wife. things. And yeah. a wife. <laughs> that's, that's, always, that, that's always their joke is that they have more in common than they do with anyone else in the world because they have the same kids and the same ex-wife. Um, and, uh, and they are very yeah, different. They, they are very different. And there's some ways that they're similar. So my mom did have a bit of a type. Both of them are pretty content being alone. Like they don't need to be the center of anything they're both very kind like unflinchingly kind and both like probably like anchored in um some sort of service or teacher archetype Mm -hmm. and so so they have some things that are very similar they get along very well and they always have even i remember times when my mom and tom were married and my dad and tom would go skiing together you know so it's my dad usually is the guy who picks tom up at the airport you know it's all very it's as flexible as we've all allowed it to be. You know, it's a little like the koi fish. We just let the pond keep getting bigger. So the fish can keep getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone has to be pretty tolerant and adaptable and open and willing to decide what's most important. Yes. And I'm reminded, but, well, you're a storyteller. Elke, that is one of your superpowers. You've overseen a parenting magazine. You're writing a memoir at this time. And I'm reminded as you tell this story that indeed it is just another story. And your dad choosing, I'll go to the airport. And Tom choosing, I'm going to go ski with my wife's ex-husband. Or uh, 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 these children we all love that everybody brings just more love to the pond. It's beautiful. Yeah. And that's well, the story think, that we can choose. Yeah, I under I think you completely nailed it, Karen. I think it's I think when people are getting a divorce and there's all this paperwork and there's all these choices and all of these things, it's not there's no like finish line to that. You still choose. <laughs> you could have all of the things down on paper about custody and there's still a million micro choices about how do your kids feel like they fall into the priority of things. Mm-hmm. For, for 40 years later, you know? Right. 
and it's it it's never was about a custody agreement and it never for me as the child um it was never about child support it was never about those things it was about can we all have christmas together is someone upset that i'm on the phone with the other parent when i'm with them uh you know all of those are the things that i think add up to us being a family that I mean, I'm 47 now. My mom has passed. We just spent Christmas with Tom and my dad here at our house with our grown children <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and Tom's new girlfriend. And Oh, wow. The There's yeah. another new family member yes. in the uh, hub, right? I and also not... forgot to mention that before my mom died, two years, three or two or three years before my mom died, she and Tom started dating again. So by the time those two were basically on again, off again from their early teens till she died in her seventies. And it was a hot potato game of if it was going to be a happy ending or a sad ending to the love story. And they were in love when she died. And Tom was a huge part of the, like, it was basically uh, Tom and I did a lot of hospice work together doing, Mm. doing that journey. And so did my dad. And so did my sister. And so, And that hub in the spoken wheel you spoke of earlier, although your mother is no longer here with us, her spirit, her intent, her fingerprints on the family remain. Oh, very much so. I always cry. You'll hear it in my voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Enough. And what I love about your story, Elkie, and your family and your mom and your part of the inspiration certainly for the Good Divorce show that you are now a part of today, but 15 years ago, knowing your family and watching these beautiful relationships and thinking the marriage can come to an end. The family doesn't have to. Beautiful. I'm so delighted for your storytelling today and bringing your vulnerability, your transparency, and your courage to help guide other families towards a good divorce. We'll be watching for your book in the future. Mm-hmm. More storytelling to come. Thanks so much to my guest, Elkie Governson. Join us again next week on The Good Divorce Show, where we continue to learn a new narrative, a new path, less destruction, less divisiveness, less debt. And remember, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.